Welcome back. Bless you boys podcast. Blessyouboys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. Let us get the show on the road. Okay, welcome back everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, we've got a special guest on the Bless You Boys podcast. We've got Mark Simon from Sports Info Solutions. Um, we're going to talk to him about defense. Sports Info Solutions has got a new um, updated defensive run saved metric coming and a brand new edition, um, version 5 of the Fielding Bible, which is a classic. And I'm very excited to see the updated edition. Mark, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Happy to join you. Uh, thanks for having me. So, I mean, just to get right into it, what was, uh, what was the impetus um, for, for updating DRS? Um, can you kind of talk about um, some, some of the previous editions and maybe some of the flaws there and, and what led you to, um, to the updated edition, which has some pretty neat features so far from what I've seen? Sure. So the book dates back about, I think it's 14 years. Uh, John Dewan, who's one of the co-authors uh, and uh, was the founder of Sports Info Solutions, he had previously owned the company Stats, Inc., uh, and when he built Sports Info Solutions, uh, the goal that he and his partner had was to make it a company that really tracked uh, minute data in uh, very intense detail. And for defensive metrics, that means things like where the ball was hit, how hard it was hit, um, uh, how likely it was that the ball was turned into an out. Did the fielder slip and fall? Did, uh, did the outfielder rob a home run? There are many different things that our company tracks. Was the pitch in the dirt blocked or did it get past the catcher? Uh, was the double play converted or was it not? Uh, a lot of things that are yes, no, some things that, that uh, require a little bit more intense scrutiny. Uh, but the company hired a, an army of seasonal workers who come in uh, and track games and they're charting uh, every possible thing you could imagine. So in 2006, they started with Fielding Bible Volume 1. They introduced everything. And then with each successive volume, they built upon the previous uh, works to build to Volume 5, which is by me, John, the owner of the company, and Brian Reef, who's one of our uh, top IT people now. And what we wanted to do for this one is we had our flagship stat, Defensive Run Saved, which you might hear on a game broadcast, especially if Kirk Gibson's doing the broadcast, or... Dan and Dickerson, I, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or Dan Dickerson, if you're listening on the radio. Certainly, Dan, uh, Dan's very into the statistical stuff. Um, or he might read about it in an article. Um, Jason Beck on MLB.com has uh, been a user of our type of information uh, in the past, a number of other, of other writers, too. Uh, so we had defensive runs saved, and essentially it gave you a player's value uh, based on whether or not he was converting batted balls into outs, turning double plays, things that were relevant to the position that he played. When defensive run saved was invented back then, shifts didn't really exist. And we combined range and positioning into one thing. So we always were, um, we were treating things as if uh, the fielder was always playing in the same spot as far as like shortstop, second base, and so on. You know that with shifts, that doesn't happen anymore. The fielders are all over the field. So our metrics have gotten much more comprehensive to where now we can separate where a player was positioned. And we can tell you how good the team was at placing its guys. But we can also tell you how good was the guy at getting to the ball. The ground ball was hit in the hole. Did he get to the ball? Yes or no. We can tell you about the guys that did it more often than not. And then we can tell you 
after he did get to the ball, how good was he at completing the play by either stepping on the bag or throwing it across the field? Uh, some guys uh, are good at that. Some guys are not. Some, and we combine that into what we call a throwing metric. So we've got our range and our throwing, and we also have a thing for infielders uh, on how well they do getting pop-ups and shallow fly balls. We call it the part system. P for positioning, A for air balls, uh, R for range, T for throwing. And you smush all that together and you get a number, and that number uh, is uh, a big factor in a player's defensive run save total, uh, along with, as I said, other things that are relevant to his position. So we upgraded, I guess the easiest thing to say is that we upgraded the quality of our infielder defensive evaluations to allow us to make better ju uh, judgments on players. Yeah, by doing that, you can manage to control for the distance the fielder is to yep. like like the the closest point to which he could intercept the ball, basically. Yeah, uh, exactly. And what you'll find, um, for the most part, like so before shifts, anything that happened in a defensive shift was entirely being credited to the team and not the player. Now. We credit the team for the positioning, and we credit the player for the work he did when he was in the shift. So what happens, Point, yeah. Yeah, what happens is the cream tends to rise to the top. Matt Chapman's value basically doubled by adding in positioning. Because, for two reasons. One, he was very good in shifts because they essentially put him at shortstop and in a shift, and he would get to balls all over the place. And then two, he was getting punished for playing deep and along the third base line because he was missing balls that were in the shortstop third base hole. And the assumption was that he was playing closer to that ball uh, and he wasn't able to get it. Now, he doesn't necessarily lose value for that. And as a result, uh, he went from 18 defensive runs saved in our system to 34, which is a pretty big jump. And that's, uh, that's the best defensive player in baseball by run saved. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredible... I mean, he was already, you know, really good, obviously. Yes. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of mind-blowing, just how good, good he actually is. Yep, and I'm sorry I didn't give an example that relates to the Tigers. <laughs> Matt, Matt Chapman's a much easier one to give than, than some of the Tiger players. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and and really, I mean, infield has always been the, ch the challenge, right? I mean, outfield... I mean, we've seen StatCast come out with outs above average. Um, I've used defensive runs saved in my articles. Obviously, Fangraphs um, ha has been using defensive runs saved as its key metric and part of its war metric for a long time. Um, it, can you kind of talk about just the challenges of, of evaluating infielders as opposed to outfielders just briefly? All right. So for outfielders, I guess, we, we still have some... I guess, spots where there can be problems. But I think you have a pretty good sense of it. And the nice thing is that you can use our data in conjunction with the StatCast data, whether you want to look at both the outs above average and the defensive run save totals um, for the different components. You can do that. But also you can use it as kind of like a teaching kind of thing. Like, for example, I'll give another player that's on another team now, Cole Calhoun, uh, who is an outfielder with the Angels, a right fielder, they, according to the StatCast data on Baseball Savant, they moved him in uh, 13 feet on average from where he typically played 2018 versus 2019. And by our metrics, you can see how did he do on shallow fly balls? How did he do on deep? He did pretty well on shallow, uh, moving in 13 feet, but he did poorly on deep. So you can see the impact 
that something like that has on a player's value and on a player's performance. And it's kind of cool to, to be able to, to do that. And, uh, and I would encourage anyone, uh, certainly look at our data. Yes, <laughs> don't be shy about looking at the other, at the other sources too. It's, it's always good to compare. And the more information you have, as long as you're not you know, paralyzing yourself with it, the more information you have, the better. Yeah, and that's the kind of information that then um, you guys could give to a team, for example, and say yep. that, okay, Cole Calhoun needs to play a little bit deeper because he's good coming in, but if it's hit over his head, he's not going to be able to turn and have the agility to make the play, that kind of so we We actually service uh, more than two-thirds of the major league teams and a few NFL teams as well with our football operation. And um, we, if it, I would say 90, 98% of the cases, we just provide the data. And we let them make their own uh, conclusions, but we just give them the tools by which they can make evaluations of that nature. Ah, uh, yes, that's very interesting. And so, and so, you have provided some of this information to, for example, Kurt Gibson um, and, and yes. the Tigers, who, yeah, who has some say at least in, in positioning the Tigers and how, how they kind of go about with their defensive alignments, right? Yeah. So I should explain that uh, Kurt Gibson, uh, both special assistant and broadcaster for the team. Uh, and yes, we help uh, the Tigers broadcast out, uh, him and, and Matt, uh, when, uh, when they're doing the games together. Um, Kirk gets kind of like an like a, a advanced statistical guide from us, uh, or has in the past, the last two years, hopefully uh, future as well. It's kind of cool. Uh, he certainly put it to use. He has sung our praises on the air. We're very appreciative for uh, how he has uh, spoken about Sports Info Solutions. And I think it's cool to see it come up on game broadcasts because um, there are definitely points where you can use it to enhance a fan's understanding, um, whether it be what are the umpire's patterns in calling balls and strikes, and we, we provide that kind of data to broadcast crews, which is, I think, one of my, my favorite things, or um, why someone might be struggling with their defensive run save total. Perhaps Jimmer Candelario has slipped and fallen four times trying to field the ball. Nobody else in the last month has done it twice, has slipped and fall, fallen uh, more than once. <laughs> um, so we can provide that extra dose of context that uh, I think a lot of people find uh, cool to see. Uh, both, And we do it both on television with, with people like her. I should also plug our Twitter, sportsinfo underscore SIS. Yes, definitely. Definitely should follow that. Um, yeah, I mean, ha- have things changed um, for you guys in terms of defense just because there are fewer balls in play um, in-, in terms of just how defense is being perceived um, from your kind of vantage point in terms of its importance? At so, all? so, yeah, I think that that's, that that's a fair thing to bring up. But I look at the leaders in defensive runs saved um, over a full season. And I say that, okay, the four top American League teams in defensive runs saved last year were the Astros, the Indians, the Rays, and the Athletics. (laughs) Uh, So that gives me some sort of measure, I think, of the importance. In the National League, it was the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Cardinals, uh, the Reds, who are going to be better this year, uh, and the Phillies, who were good and then dropped. Uh, The National League actually had a lot of... uh, The National League had more good defensive teams uh, so the teams that are even like seventh or eighth are pretty good. Like the Braves uh, did very well with defensive runs saved. The Brewers did very well. Uh, the Nationals were, I, I guess, at the bottom of the good teams list, uh, and they won the World Series. But the uh, well, uh, in the American League, as I said, those top four teams, I think they understand the value of it. 
Yeah, that's good to hear because I I do hear a little bit of a, of an attitude you know coming from people who think that um, you know more and more teams are just going to put you know big sluggers in the infield and fast outfielders out there to kind of prevent doubles. But when you look at it, it does still seem like the best teams do all do all the parts of the game well. Like you're just not going to yeah. find too many that are bad in one area. Yeah, because chances are, if they have a good defensive run save total, it means that they have good athletes on the team. And if you have good athletes, you probably have good base runners, and you probably have good hitters. Uh, so I, I would, I would put, uh, I would put my stock in <laughs> in good defense, and I would say, look, at any level, uh, you wouldn't want to give a team extra outs. And if you're giving a team extra outs, uh, I think teams like the Mets and the Cubs last year in the National League. Uh, would certainly say that their defense is probably cost them the opportunities to make uh, the postseason. Yeah, and even even for your pitchers, obviously, um, te- teams know how to kind of sift some of that, obviously. But you know, even for a team like the Tigers, where their you know their win total isn't really going to have any relationship to anything, but if you right. can make Matt Boyd look a little better than he actually is, or, or right. whoever it is, yeah, you might increase their trade value uh, a little bit as well. I want to make a point on that too. Youngjin Ryu is a good example of that who's now with the Blue Jays. He was with the Dodgers uh, previous to this. Uh, last year, if you look at the defensive performance behind Yunjin Ryu, uh, it was among the best in baseball. And he had an ERA in the low twos uh, um, for much of the season. Uh, he's now going to the American League, and he's going to the Blue Jays, who um, I think he's, he's not going to necessarily find the same level of support that he was finding with the Dodgers, who were the best defensive team in baseball last year. And so last year, he had like a two ERA and a three-something FIP. I don't think he's going to be able to replicate that, A, in the American League East, and B, with a defensive team behind him that's not really close to what the Dodgers were. Do you guys um, ever, do you produce the metric um, sort of on behalf of the pitchers, too, as far as, like, th- this is the defense that was played behind them? Yep, so that's essentially what I was getting at with uh, Yen Chin Ryu, uh, that, that he was one of the guys that was at the top. Uh, whereas, again, if you talk about the Boyds and the other uh, Turnbulls and some of the other Tigers pitchers, uh, you're probably going to be kind of disappointed in the numbers. Uh, but he's, uh, as I said, Rio is a good example. We do, we have that like as kind of an internal thing that I can look up with a couple of clicks uh, and share with someone if I want to. It's not something that like we show publicly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool thing to know, though. Yeah, and I mean, you can always look at the team defense in general that was played behind the player and, and have, right. have a sense from that. I would for the most part, if you look at the guy's FIP, um, for those that are familiar, fielding independent pitching, kind of an ERA estimate based on pitcher strikeouts, walks, home runs. If he's good at all three, FIP's going to be low. Uh, if a guy has a two ERA and a three FIP like Ryu, that probably means that the defense was good behind him. If he has a three FIP and a four ERA, it either means that he gave up a lot of hits with guys on base or the defense was poor behind him uh, and, and he maybe wasn't deserving of the kind of performance that he actually got. Yeah, I think uh, for this is going back a little ways, but for Tigers fans, I think the the trade for Doug Fister was one where, where that was sort of the the dynamic there, and the Tigers were able to bring him over, probably for for less than he was actually worth um, as a result. Yeah. Um, is there a is there I, I guess is there a challenge in the fact that sometimes a very simple play that is botched um, can really hurt a guy's value, and yet maybe not be as predictive 
of, of who that player actually is because it was just sort of a fluke? Or is that just the kind of thing that just has to be washed out in, in the enormous amount of data that, that's produced by each player during a season? I think over 162 games that you kind of get those plays wiped out. Uh, that, that, that I guess the things that are in the, um, I guess like the 20th percentile uh, to the 70th percentile of plays, like you take out the very best and you take out uh, the very worst. Uh, the very best is, or very worst are going to, if there's a lot of them, they're going to push a guy up. Uh, but if the guy's... 20, you know, if the guy's 30th, 40th percentile plays, the play, like if you had a list of 100 plays for a guy and his 35th play was a really valuable play, that's a sign that he's pretty good. Um, and I wouldn't worry. To, everyone's going to have their really bad moments over 162 games. The idea is to minimize those and maximize the really good ones. Yeah, for sure. Um when you guys are actually, you know, evaluating in-game plays, is that is that done live, or do you, do you have people just just watching all the games? Um, so we have a group of seasonal employees that we call video scouts. Uh, it's a cool program. It's uh, mostly for recent college grads uh, that are, uh, I would say, your your highest level of intensity baseball former players at the collegiate level or <laughs> intense followers. Uh, and they have, they sit in our offices and they're charting games using the software that we have, watching on TV, getting help from uh, some of the other technological sources that are out there. Um, and they're watching plays sometimes three, four times to make sure that the, the, you know, the play is noted in the right spot. Uh, was the ball over the fence or was it not is a great question in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. um, home robberies, if you think about it, like was it a home run robbery or was it not? Uh, it's a very comprehensive thing. Three, four people watch different aspects of a single game. For football, uh, I think the the amount of man hours into one NFL game is like 24 or 30. It's it's something very intense. Uh, but they're all for they're watching, uh, and it's I guess a case of don't let the we we wish that we could be perfect on something like that, but don't. You know, if it's if it's very very good, that's still important, and that's still an improvement uh, over what you had before, which was essentially very little. Um, so it's a it's a good program. The general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays is a graduate of the video scout program. There are people in front offices uh, of a number of major league teams uh, that are graduates of that program. It's a great uh, thing to have on your uh, resume, certainly to say that you were able to do this. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to see it as it, uh, I can tell you that a, it taught me how to watch the game a little differently, just doing the training for it. And B it's really hard. And I don't think I would be very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You really have to know what you're, what you're looking at. And yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, there are always going to be some things you just can't tell, like, okay, this fielder just happened to be staring up in the stands at a girl, like an idiot. Like, it's, yes. it's never going to be, yeah, a, a thousand percent, but it's just, it's all come so much farther than it, than it was even four or five years ago, it seems like, yeah, to me. Yep, for uh, sure. Are there any, are there any unique challenges um, to, to the park factor 
aspect of it. Um, I'm thinking of Comerica Park as being, you know, a deep center field. And we talk a lot about it in terms of, you know, is it costing everyone home runs? Is it a good hitters park? All those sorts of things. Um, can you talk about how that might factor into the, the defensive metrics a little bit? I think there's an article in the book that addresses this a little bit. And it's not necessarily my primary area of expertise. It's a little tricky um, because as you said, every park is uh, differently shaped. Um, yeah, defensive park factors is in the book, um, and I would refer people to that. It is a challenge in terms of outfield, certainly, uh, because if you think about it, I guess if you play in certain parks, uh, you have, um, I guess Arizona is a good example. That the, the, the gaps are pretty big, and a really speedy outfielder can make catches uh, that are very low percentage plays um, by going into those gaps or a place, I guess, like Comerica. Um, whereas someone in certain other parks may not necessarily get the same volume of opportunities. We can actually, I guess you could, if we wanted to, we could look at it on a per play basis kind of thing. Uh, but I think we're satisfied with what we have as far as kind of neutralizing uh, the ballparks uh, at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much you can do. I mean, if you're yeah. the left fielder, you know, in, in Boston, you're not going to rob any home runs. Like that's just, you know, at least not at right. home, that kind of thing. Exactly. The, the, it, and <laughs> Wrigley is a tough place to rob them too, actually, because the, the fences are a little higher. Um, but I do, it actually brings up a point, a tiger worthy point that is covered in the book. Um, and I actually, the t I wrote 28 of the 30 team essays that are in the book. I did not write the Tigers one. Uh, Lindsay Zach wrote an article about Jacoby Jones yes. and looking at plays made uh, comparatively and how they changed his positioning. Uh, they moved him back eight feet, uh, and it didn't like it didn't help him. Um, and th that just seemed kind of weird to us. And we'll see if there's a turnaround in 2020. Uh, but the the adjustment to his depth at Comerica Park. Um, I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, he was just not the same guy that he was in 2018. Yeah, and I guess he did play. He played more center field last year than than left field, so maybe there's there's some part of it um, involved there. But but the other, you know, I I was thinking I watched Anthony Goes. I don't know if you remember Anthony Goes as a, as the Tigers center fielder. Um, he's he's now a left-handed flamethrowing reliever for the yep. Indians. Uh, but you know, when he was here the Tigers kept trying to get him to play deeper and he continued to argue over and over again that he just wouldn't do it. You know, that he, he, he believed in playing in taking away all the singles and he felt like he'd, he could run down, you know, anything out there. So it kind of feels like there's an ongoing debate uh, about how yep. deep to play at Comerica Park. I would say that the, the value of an outfielder will be uh, in most cases will be determined by how good he is at taking away the potential doubles and triples. Yeah. Yeah, it's the extra base hits, right? Especially when when there's a, there's more home runs, there's more strikeouts. If you can limit the the extra base hits and keep guys hitting singles and and striking yep. them out, you're going to be in good shape. Look at Byron Buxton. Look at Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, look at your elite um, center fielders. I think they're pretty good at, at getting that, uh, making sure that they catch that deep ball, uh, and that for most guys, it's easier to go in on the ball than to go back on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you don't quite get there when you're coming in on it, it's a single. So right, exactly. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, I guess we could just put it in the the category of of receiving um, in terms of like 
checking where balls and strikes actually actually pass through the strike zone and and comparing yep. that to the umpire's strike zones. In in general, does it matter to you guys at all if the, if Major League Baseball goes to an automated strike zone? Is that the kind of thing that takes away a little bit of the the knowledge that's being you know generated and, and used <laughs> behind the game to sort to sort of gain an advantage and and sort of putting everyone on a level playing field? Is that do you think that's good for the game or is that you know, kind of taking away an, an avenue where some teams have have just, you know, managed to exploit an advantage that other teams didn't see. Well, it would turn everyone's, uh, we have a, a pitch framing stat, we call it strike zone run saved, and I guess it would turn everyone into a zero in that, um, and it would eliminate it. We still have plenty of, of things that we measure for catchers, uh, so I think we're in good shape with, uh, in terms of pitch blocking and stolen bases and bunt defense and, Balls hit in front of the plate, things of that sort. Um, I, I just answered this on another podcast, and I'm trying to think of a way to do it diplomatically because we were, we certainly work with Major League Baseball. I I will be curious to see how it is um, how it happens because um, I think there will be a lot of unexpected strike calls. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in the first year that it happens, and I think there will be potential technological issues just as there is with any technology uh, I think they you know they're certainly going to be very good and I'm sure that they're not going to let it exist without feeling like it's going to be a hundred percent but boy you, you, 2430 games uh, yeah. 200 pitches a game uh, 300 pitches a game uh, I, I I hope that something is not decided uh by technology will it take something away from the game absolutely uh austin hedges is a catcher for this for the padres who i think is reliant on pitch framing to stay in the major leagues uh, Roberto perez of the indians is very good at pitch framing uh someone like salvador perez on the royals uh it will increase his value because pitch framing right now is taking away from it yeah because he's not getting that low pitch called a strike um so It'll be interesting to see the impact that it has because it will not. It will probably knock some guys out. Like so, so many things in this Tigers rebuild, the, the Tigers just just continue to feel like on the wrong side of history with this. We've all been excited to uh, see them finally taking you know catcher re- framing or catcher receiving seriously, and we have Jake Rogers coming, and of course now it's going to go away after years of <laughs> using James McCann, and yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect for us. Yep. <laughs> Jake Rogers. Jake Rogers came with a very good defensive reputation, as you said, and uh, unfortunately, he didn't hit it all last year. Yep, yep, it's true. He's changed his swing. He's cut off the leg kick, so uh, we'll see. He hit a home run today. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I it, that part of it has has really been interesting to me. To me is what is kind of watching the early returns from the Arizona Fall League when they they've tried to to use it and just seeing just how you, you just don't think of the strike zone in terms of like. It's volume. You only think of it, you know, as a sheet, a plane yeah. at the front of the plate. Um, and yeah, there's been some really interesting uh, strike calls that I've that I've heard of, of as well. <laughs> yep. And the pitchers might love this, you know. Well, if they're getting more strikes than they're losing, uh, I I think that they will. Yeah, it's interesting because we're also at a time and you know where it feels like the game is being. It feels like it's being manipulated a little bit more, almost out in the open, from the sense that if they if they do that, okay, well then pitchers might have you know an extra advantage there. But 
you know, they're taking advantages away, you know, in, in other areas. And then we have the ball kind of involved. Um, do some of these things keep you guys up at night? Like what happens if the ball, you know, flies 2%, you know, less far, you know, for the first three weeks of the season, does everyone have to kind of like redo all of their, uh, their offensive metrics? I mean, what do we, what do we do in these situations? <laughs> the thing is that like stuff like that is fairly well entrenched and all we have to do is just track it. And if it goes up or it goes down, unless it's eliminated, like what you're talking about with the pitch framing, uh, we're okay. We, we just need things to happen because <laughs> the point of the company is something happens, we document it. It's like you write it down. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think we'll be, I think we, we, our, our business right now is, is in a good place. And I, I think that, uh, hopefully it will continue to be, and we've tried to make it more, I guess, publicly open, uh, the last couple of years too, that that's essentially in, in this job, that's my responsibilities is to, to do things like this and, uh, explain it to as many people as I can. Yeah. And even, you know, in, in our way, you know, as a team blog, um, advanced metrics and, and the new data and, and the technology being used to teach players, that's all been a big challenge to kind of grasp that stuff well enough to, to be able to explain it to, you know, to our fan base and to our readers. Um, and it feels like it's it's a process that, you know, kind of involves the, the whole baseball world. But it's been fascinating and it's fascinating to see, you know, yeah, the ways these things continue to to evolve. There's always you know, these kind of unintended consequences. Um, yeah. And yet you also get a much more detailed, granular view of the game. I mean, I, I'm never going to get over the fact that now that we have, you know, w- w- once we had instant replay and fa- before we could challenge anything, now fans could all see what was actually happening. And because of that, you can't help but take that into account and allow some kind of a challenge. And and these things just, just kind of build on each other that way. So, Yep. Uh, let me say, too, that I'll offer this to anyone that's listening to this podcast specifically. If you have a question or want to understand something that we do better and you want to tweet us, uh, sportsinfo underscore SIS, tweet us your questions. Say you were listening to this podcast. I will gladly try to answer. I love it. Oh, yeah, that, that's a super useful thing. And you you might be surprised because, yeah, our fan base uh, at Bletchy Boys is pretty pretty uh, analytic savvy and very curious and badgers us with questions. And so I'll be perfectly happy. Um, please Good. take your defensive questions or any other questions you have and, and send them to Mark. <laughs> he's much more experienced. I mean, he's worked for MLB network, ESPN, you know, yeah, you've got the right guy. I worked for ESPN. I was on MLB network. Um, I, I will say this too. If anyone wants to buy fielding Bible volume five, if you show us a proof of purchase, I will either a write a poem on your favorite player, or B, provide a, what we call a stat pack, essentially like five did-you-know kind of tidbits about your favorite player. If you show us uh, proof of purchase, we will, uh, I will uh, personally do that for you. So. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah, that's a super good offer. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, book. You... Oh, exactly, <laughs> buy the book. I'm definitely going to buy the book. Um, everyone should check it out. Um, it's, it's super useful to have around. And, if, you know, if you're watching a game, and and have it with you it really does add a lot to the experience because you can you know if you see something happening more often than not there's you know there's an explanation either in the player or, or in something like that that is going to help you and i love the new system um that that's always been a question is, is is the starting point you know is that you know we used to think players were sort of responsible themselves for knowing where to be positioned and how to anticipate the ball off the bat but that's all so much more controlled now by teams it makes great sense to to sort of yep. take that out yeah 
Um, do you guys do anything with the minor leagues? I mean, I know you don't, you know, you don't publish information on like, you know, prospects and all that sort of thing, but is that something you guys keep track of as well since you, we at least have some game data from, from games in the minor? We do. We have people that are at ballparks, as a matter of fact, for that. Um, we track AAA, AA, um, some single A, and we also track uh, Japanese baseball, and I believe this year we will be tracking Korean baseball. Oh, awesome. uh, that is that data is provided to teams. Um, again, it's kind of like here's your inf- here's the information. Here are the leaders. You do with it what you wish. Um, I can tell you that it rated when Matt Chapman was in the minor leagues. He rated out really well. Um, some sometimes it hits, sometimes it misses. Uh, the one the guy that we were most high on like a year ago was Scott Kingery, who was a Phillies prospect. Uh, it hasn't worked as well for him. But uh, there is some validity in the minor league numbers and how they translate to the majors. There's also uh, cool stuff to be gleaned from the Japanese baseball information that we've compiled over the last couple of years. There's a shortstop, just to give you a small taste, there's a shortstop named Sosuke Genda, uh, who two years ago um, went crazy in terms of defensive runs saved. I don't remember what the number was, but it was an absurd total. And essentially his specialty was uh, getting the ground ball that was hit up the middle. Uh, and really moving quickly to his left to make the play uh, and get the guy first base. And in Japan, there's you know there's a decent amount of slap hitting, yeah. uh, so there are a lot of opportunities. And he was uh, kind of machine-like uh, in that regard. And we uh, every now and then we'll pop something up on Twitter about something like that. Um, but as, as for the most part, it's for teams. Yeah, if, if there are fans out there that you know kind of lament some of the loss of you know the hit and run and the bunt and you know small framed lightning fast defenders, yes, I would I would definitely direct you to uh, Japanese baseball, the KBO in Korea, um, super fun crowds, and it, it's it's a style of game that is a little bit more familiar to people who may find themselves a little bit put off by the strikeouts and and home runs, you know, kind of paradigm we've established over the last few years. I don't know if I have a whole lot more on, on the specifics. Um, can we talk Tigers for just a second? Yeah. Do you have any uh, any any specific feelings about the Tigers this year? Do you think that they did anything particularly useful this off season to help themselves, or is this just kind of well, the team might not be you know a, a hundred win near a hundred loss team this year? I'm. I yes, I would say. Uh, I hope that it goes better than last year. I'm not sure that the evidence is there to say that it will. Um, I would be like they they added Crone and they added um, they added Scope. Those are good acquisitions. Um, I guess they're better probably than what was there. They added Austin Romine, which in theory, from a defensive perspective, should help a lot. I think we were I, I, we, we might have a negative four negative four wins um, at, at the catcher position last year. So even yeah, Austin Romine right. could be a huge and, upgrade. And I will say this: there is value from going from terrible to average. <laughs> so like um, I, I use I'm a New York Met baseball person for the most part, and I always use the example that the Mets had Lucas Duda playing left field, and he's like a negative fifteen left fielder. And he went from negative 15 runs saved, he went to Eric Young Jr., who couldn't hit, um, but who could catch it. And he was an average defender. And the idea of going from negative 15 to zero was like going from zero to, like, 20. 
Eric Jr. <laughs> looked like a gold glove. He looked really good. Uh, and it helped the team maybe, you know, by a win or two. Um, but it, it, it made a more watchable product. I think your goal this year is essentially a more watchable product as uh, these young guys develop and you get Manning and uh, you get Mize up to the major leagues and you hope that those guys have good defenses behind them and hitters behind them and you hope that Daz Cameron uh, comes up and hits uh, because if he's anything like his father in the field he's probably going to be pretty good Uh, and then you hope that you hit it uh, pretty well with this draft and that you get guys that uh, maybe you go for a bunch of college guys that you can get up to the majors uh, in a fairly decent time period you can start to build a foundation with two pitchers and you know that they'll spend once the quality of the team is better so uh, you, i think maybe the spending will come maybe not this off season coming up but maybe the next one after that um i think the the manning mize beginning uh is is the biggest thing to look forward to this year because the major league product right now is is not the greatest. Yeah, and you know I was happy that they you know they made some moves that you know should make the team more more entertaining and more fun to watch and give them a chance to you know to maybe go on a little hot streak early on and get everybody a little hot and bothered. But um, but yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot of meat on the bone this off season as far as anything that that is going to you know reflect on the club long term, and and that was somewhat frustrating to me. <laughs> so yeah. But I think that teams like the Tigers and the Orioles and the Mariners, these teams have to take the long view of it and understand that nowadays being bad is you want to be at the bottom. You don't want to be in the middle. Um, And it's a three-year process where you got to take up the the really bad days and and 47 and 114 and you're getting your, your top pick in the draft scenarios and you're finding one or two good players and you develop your minor leaguers and after three years then you spend and you add with the goal of winning and then you get there uh like well like yeah i know (laughs) you're gonna say the astros i'm not saying the astros (laughs) but the astros um and you hope that you get there and you're in a division at least where for the most part, other teams aren't necessarily going to spend at your level other than the White Sox. The Twins, probably, you can outspend them. You can outspend Kansas City. Um, so once you get the, the good foundation, then you can go and, and buy the guys that you want to get. Yeah, I think that's the hope. And if we could just, um, yeah, if they if all the moves that they're making to to revamp the player development system pay off, then hopefully we will start to see some of those some of those later round picks who are position players, you know, start to have some kind of impact. Cause yeah, it's been a black hole there and it's, it's kind of Isaac Paredes, Daz Cameron, and eventually Riley Green right now and, and not much else. So. Right. And you have to, um, you have to just be patient uh, and trust that your teams, all departments, whether it's uh, the player evaluation or the analytics side um, are making good, smart decisions. Uh, for the long term, and you have to understand that decisions like Jordan Zimmerman and decisions like uh, tagging on a bunch of years at the end for a guy playing first base DH, uh, 38, 39, 40 years old, um, that you might want to rethink uh, deals like that in the future and not necessarily go uh, at them to the degree that you went at them with someone like uh, maybe. Yeah. 
Yeah, they went pretty hard for some big, big aging veterans, and it uh, it did not work out, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it worked out for the short term. Yeah, yep. it didn't work out. For, you you can't forget the good years. You did have some good years there. Yeah, it's true. And and actually, one of the things that those teams always were lacking is you know is is that defense. <laughs> that was that was <laughs> the, that was always the flaw. More so maybe even than the bullpen. So. Yes, pitchers in two thousand six, not good. Yep, yep. Um, all right, one one final question before I let you go. I don't want to get into the Astros thing specifically or any of that, but do you think that there is is in fairly short order going to be a solution where pitchers and catchers can signal each other in some way that that's not visible? Because I've been kind of waiting for what happened to the Astros to happen ever since I started seeing you know tablets and mm. ca- cameras everywhere. Um, I didn't find it terribly surprising. I'm very suspicious that it might be more widespread than we thought. Um, do you think there's a solution that's that's going to be in the pipeline fairly soon for that? Yes, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I would think that there that the baseball of five to ten years from now will look a bit different uh, than the baseball from now, uh, and I, that's one area where I think you can do something, and I think you should do something. It, it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just got to be kind of gotten rid of as a possibility because yeah, suspicion is just always going to be there now. Yep. Well, Mark, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I'm very excited to see the new uh, the new volume of the Fielding Bible. Um, I definitely encourage everyone to check out everything over at Sports Info Solutions. And can you give the the Twitter handle one more time for everyone to please pester Mark and and his staff with all of your questions? <laughs> Sports Info underscore S I S Sam Info Sam. Uh, feel free to go there, uh, check out FieldingBible.com, check out SportsInfoSolutions.com, and check out Fielding Bible Volume 5. I would make the case, and you've seen chunks of the book, um, if there's something in it for everyone, whether you're super hardcore, whether you want to read team preview or team review kind of things, uh, or player analysis, or the mathematics behind it, it's all there. Uh, be open-minded, give it a shot. Yeah, it's been fascinating to, just to look at the, the samples that we've got. Um, a lot of the things that I would think to myself I would go there for are great, but ju- but just picking it up and fishing around, I found all kinds of things that, yeah, you know, are, are just, just stuck out to me. So, yeah, very, very awesome resource to have. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Mark. Thank you very much. You got it. Glad to right. connect with Tiger fans. Thank you very much. You have a good evening. Yep, see ya. Bye-bye.